Hey, it's Dario and Chris of the Refined Taste Podcast, and we want to tell you about an awesome comedy show we're hosting at Crisp on March 7th at 7.30. This show features some of the best comedians in the area and beyond, and of course, Crisp's delicious menu available all night. Tickets are available on eventbrite.com, and as a thank you for listening to a show on the Lunchador Podcast Network, use promo code PODFAM for $5 off tickets. That's P-O-D-F-A-M at checkout on eventbrite.com, and we'll see you at the show. Welcome to the Level Up Podcast. I'm Wade Reed. And I'm Aaron Pascucci. And today we are covering a topic that, you know, in, in some industries, and I think to some participants in our industry, it might be very inspiring, I think. To me, it makes me want to tear my eyes out. Um, and Don't do that, Wade. It's, it's an audio medium. No one's going to see. <laughs> I can, whatever. Um, so we're starting tonight with self-harm, so that's bad. Um, it's, it's really about, like, how we define, like, small coffee and big coffee, I think, for a long time. You know, independent brands were synonymous with, like, small brands, and that's very much not the case anymore. And there are a lot of large brands who are masquerading now as as independent brands. And, you know, then you find out, like, they're backed by literally the Walton family. So, like, that's... Um, we're going to get into it. We're going to use the really uh, one really specific example. But before we get to it, here my co-host Aaron Pescucci and our producer Chris Lindstrom. How are you guys doing? Oh man, things are things are pretty good. We're uh, continuing to grow Lunchador Podcast Network. Uh, if you want to support the Level Up Coffee Podcast, uh, you'll find a link in the show notes where you can uh, support the show with tips or a support the show subscription. Uh, we always appreciate the support and uh, share out and listen to other shows on the network. It's uh, exciting times, man. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's super cool. And like, you know, it's nice to see like download numbers and that kind of thing. But um, to be supported you know, monetarily is obviously we would be humbled and grateful to anyone who wants to follow the link. So, um, And then on coffee side, I mean... Uh, turns out that uh, the whole uh, put water on your coffee before you grind it really works to make your grinds more consistent. Uh, yes, it and, does. Yeah, um, that's science. Yeah, uh, really it's science now. R- RDT is that the one we're talking about here? Yeah, I, I've got a little spray bottle on the way, but I've just just started just you know wetting my finger and putting it in. And yeah, holy cow! The, what a what a big difference that that's is. That's a lot less static. Yep, and a little more consistency. Yeah, real yeah. really cool. Yep. I've been coffee was immediately better. <laughs> It's funny because that's one of the things we used to tell people when they got new espresso machines. I think it was the first place I heard it was Whole Latte Love. That's what you're referring to, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like, I think that was maybe a Whole Latte Love YouTube video or maybe when you were when they were shooting that video or something, I was out there and I was like, what the hell are you guys doing? doing? But it, yeah, no, there was a paper on that recently. Um, Almost brought it here, but it's, you know, that's pretty granular. (laughs) Yeah. Never know how deep to get it's, in the weeds. It's funny though when you have a guy who, when you have a guy who spent you know seven thousand dollars on his home setup and he's like it's not working. I go just run your finger under the water yeah. and dip it in your beans. <laughs> he's just, like what? Just just do it. Hey, Trust me. Just hop on one foot and turn three circles, <laughs> yeah. face east. Yeah, exactly. Hey, that. hey, just just dip it in there. <laughs> just, just go ahead and you know just lick it and yeah. put it in. <laughs> <laughs> So Aaron, how's it going, man? Been doing good. It's uh, I'm back on the school schedule, so I'm now a couple months in from taking a couple years off of teaching, and 
Oh, kids are kids. And uh, yeah, that's never going to change. Yeah, I know. So we just had a break. Wade, how was was more parenting for you? I mean, it was fun. I had my boys along at the warehouse three straight days and all the warehouse guys loved them. I was going to say. And loved on them and like bought them lunch and stuff. It was really cool. Um, And I think they had fun. Um, But there's also just like I had full work days. Yeah. Where I was like working and, and dadding. And so... It was exhausting, but, sure. uh, but very cool. Very fun. Um, and you know, they're good kids. They just, you leave them too long with like the tablets and the switches and they're <sighs> going to start yelling at each other. It's just, you know, ticking it, time bomb. It's but. crazy. I, I, I swear that the tablets are the downfall of all of my <laughs> relationships with my children. Exactly. Like that. you leave it too long and then they, they start like hoarding it like cocaine. It's, it's like, the, yeah, they all turn into Gollum. So, you know, is this, is this when I finally do my Gollum impression on, on the level up podcast? Oh gosh. No, no. I'm going to tease it right now. Hit record. I'm going to tease it and we'll do it (laughs) another time. So I want to talk about this, this, you know, big coffee, small coffee issue. And I think the reason I'm thinking about this is because Chobani, the Greek yogurt company just bought La Colombe. Oh really? Yeah. They just bought La Colombe. Um, and I'm going to give you a, a brief history of how this came to be because I was fascinated because this has been in the works for 10 years, turns out. Oh. La Colombe received their first round. Sorry, go it's ahead, It's been Chris. fermenting for it's 10 been, years? Oh, it's gosh. Been, oh, boo. This one's been brewing. <laughs> there we go. It's a cold steep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow. This has been a great one already. <laughs> now it, it's time for the golem. <laughs> this is where on YouTube we say punch that subscribe button and yeah, like exactly. button, please. Please yeah. tip us for this. Um, <laughs> in 2014, La Colombe received their first round of private equity funding, uh, $28.5 million. Um, so, you know, nice little chunk of change there. But what happened in 2015 is the founder of Chobani acquired a majority stake in La Colombe. And then hmm. that was when they started expanding. So that was when they went outside Philly. There are now 32 locations in like 16 cities in D.C. So um, that's kind of cool. I remember that time and I remember being super excited just for La Colombe, for Todd Carmichael. I had met him at a competition. Super friendly to me. Um, I know there are a lot of opinions about him, you know, in the industry, but like I had nothing but good experiences. So I was I remember this and I was like, if it's going to happen, I like that it's happening to them around the same time as happening, you know, Stumptown. Um, I think the Blue Bottle one came along shortly after um, intelligence being bought by Pete's was, I think a couple of years later, but so that was cool. Um, when that all started happening, then in 2016, the ready to drink draft latte released. Do y- y'all remember that? That's I'm still there. Just like, absolutely. Just like full disclosure. I, I love this product. I it's love great. draft lattes. I'll drink one anytime I have the opportunity. I used to love, you know, like it was so nice to East Ave Wegmans. You could literally go in, grab, grab one it, can. Leave. Yeah. And it was like right at the front in those coolers at the front, like, I did that way more than I should have, you know, even when I was just like on my bike around the city. It was, I love the draft lot. Can we pause here real quick? What is with the lid on that thing? The plastic? There like, I don't understand a reason it. for that, but I don't, I don't remember. No, I, I remember thinking that, looking it up, and there was a, re- I, I don't know. Because I still can't <laughs> figure it out. It's like, you have this can, and it's cool, and the, the plastic top makes it look neat, and it's, it's marginally better to drink out of, but I, I feel like it's too extra on there. And I was like, why did they do this? I, it's a good question. I really don't know. But so then 
after the draft latte, obviously, and the expansion, like La Colombe, huge brand, nationally known, probably internationally known. You know, I don't travel a lot, so I don't know. But in 2021, then Todd Carmichael actually stepped down. He was the founder. He had had the vision, you know, kind of gotten them to that point. He was the he was the face of the company. He stepped down as CEO and he um, opened a Rebel, Rebel Beverage Labs, which apparently mm. oh. they do flavored waters and things like that. Like do they I don't do know. the their. I think I saw them in uh, Wegmans. They do Rebel Cold Brew. That makes sense. That makes sense. Todd, it was it was all about experimental uh, flavorings of water and things like that. And I don't know if it was coffee specific necessarily at the outset, um, but that's what Todd's doing now. So then there's this weird period where in 2022 and 2023, they had a distribution agreement with Miller Coors and it went up in flames. Wow. Uh, mm. Something bad happened where Miller ended the agreement early and just didn't feel like that product line was benefiting their brand. So then in 2023, you just, you, you kind of had the brand, you kind of had uh, La Cologne floundering in, in a market where like they had taken a ton of market share. Where do they expand next? How do they grow? And of all companies, Keurig Dr. Pepper invested 300 million and took a 33% stake uh, and took over kind of that licensing and distribution that they had lost with Miller Coors. So I kind of thought this is where La Colombe's going to land. They're in that portfolio. And then end of that year, Chobani comes in and for $900 million <laughs> oh purchases the La Colombe brand outright. And wow. now, uh, yeah, they're big on the ready to drink market. Um, you know, Chobani started doing creamer in 2021. Yeah. You know, coffee creamers. I was excited about that. So I, I guess this was a sensible move for them, but like $900 million for a essentially a coffee company, right? Like I think that's most, that's what La Colombe still is. It's there's the ready to drink stuff, but like, but they've only got 30 locations at this point. And, and yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of what they're roasting and putting out there, it can't be as much as some of those big competitors. I mean, I would hope, I would hope that, you know, you purchase them with a plan to, expand to that level right oh, like i would sure. hope or if you're just that focused on the ready to, ready to drink market like you can position that and grow that i don't know where that goes next like you know they have double draft latte they have draft mocha so like what are you you know how cute can you get with that and diversify that product line like are we gonna get like yogurt flavored draft latte my my son he loves seltzers and we went to joy mart over on celebration drive and oh, i haven't been over yet it it's pretty cool i mean it's very it's it's like a pop culture kind of asian vibe so for sure he found these seltzers that all have anime characters on them <laughs> right. and there's one from one piece that has that is yogurt flavor cool <laughs> he like oh saved gosh. it for last i was like i hope that's good is it a whole bunch of yeasty yeah, <laughs> flavor just like lactic acid you're just drinking lactic acid so shout they, out to the yeasty boys is that the next is that the next uh draft latte is yogurt like what are we going to get from chobani like well, how do you keep growing a brand how do you justify a 900 million dollar acquisition well, let me wow. ask you this um, do you remember when Starbucks came out with their Frappuccinos, the glass jar? Yeah, ones? like the glass jars. Everybody they, I, picked those up. Yeah, I lived in Nebraska at the time, I think, and like they took a few more years for us to get them. <laughs> yeah, they had to find Nebraska. It, you know, they, they get airdropped. You know, because it's all flyover country. <laughs> yeah, they hope it but, lands in Omaha, and yeah, then if it exactly. lands somewhere else, like yeah, yeah, uh, hit Lincoln. Aim all for, right, aim fine. for the Missouri River. <laughs> but I mean, I know for. There was a time when 
you know, specialty coffee was sparse. You know, we were lucky. I was in Grand Rapids and we had Madcap pop up eventually. Love that brand. They're awesome. Like, gotta go. And they've got multiple locations now in Grand Rapids, which is great. Their, their founder, Trevor Corlett, is he's always inspiring. I have a great meeting Trevor, meeting my idol, Trevor Corlett story that I'll tell sometime. But I haven't um, already told it. But, uh, you know, we would travel and on days you either didn't want to drink the stuff that they were putting out at the cafeteria on campus. Ooh, I can't believe I drank that for so long. Mm. <laughs> like the memories are coming back poorly. <laughs> but uh, like you would grab one of those and that would be like the best coffee you'd be able to get. You the know. Starbucks Frappuccino Starbucks in, the, in, Frappuccino. The jar, in the glass and, jar. And it's, it's one of those things I was talking with somebody about some liquor at some point. It's not the greatest, but it's always good. Like it's always, you know, what you're expecting. It doesn't deviate from that. Right, right. I And I feel like, you know, now when I drink them, most of what I taste is just like sugar and flavor. And sure. I'm like, you know, is this coffee? It's in that realm for me now. But like, yeah, I, re- I mean, I remember liking them. Yeah, that's I remember where I was liking going them. I won't get too detailed. But that's yeah. where I was going is La Colombe now, at least for me, has filled that space where if I'm out and I need to grab something, like I know I can grab one of those. I know which one I'm going to get and they're actually going to be different. Yep. You know, the pepper one isn't going to taste like the vanilla one for Starbucks there. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It's probably got some sugar in it, but it's not just sugar. Right. Right. So that's where I was going with that was where they might be really trying to push this hard. Yeah. To be the specialty option that's available in everywhere like that. That's a huge move. And like we see it in our grocery stores locally. I've seen it outside of town. Like, any major, even you know, mid or small level city at a grocery store that's nationwide, they're going to have this on the shelf now. At least one or two SKUs. They're not, they might not have twelve SKUs, but they'll have one or two. But then when you go somewhere that does have all twelve SKUs, like that's going to be cool too, right? Oh, like for sure. Some random rest stop where the owner loves these, you know, draft lattes and buys every flavor, right? Like uh-huh, someday you're sure. going to come across that, and it's. I guess that's the move. I There's mean, a, it's, and it's going to be just as good, like you said. There was a, I mean, when craft beer was around here, there was one gas station in town. Do you know the one I'm talking about, I Chris? Do. Absolutely. The Hess Station in Hess of the Bush, World, Bushnell's Bush Basin, Basin yeah. right? <laughs> um, you know, that word got around. And the reason that guy had such an extensive beer selection was he just loved it. And he got that reputation, and people would sell to him. It was awesome. Yeah. They yeah. got a lot of cool stuff there. I, I think this is also, this is this is part of the interesting discussion of coffee on multiple levels, is it can be an enjoyable thing on its own because it's not faulted, <laughs> right? It's not, it's not faulty coffee. Right. It doesn't mean it's the most expressive of origin or anything like that, but coffee can be enjoyed in many different formats and being able to access something from a company that is... It, that is at least doing, you know, a baseline of good. Yeah. And that, yeah, if you do go to a grocery store in a place where you don't have a specialty roaster local and you get one of their single origin roasts or blends and you're brewing down your machine, you're in a small town. The only thing you have is that stuff. You're happy to buy that off the yeah. shelf. Yep. Because yeah. it's, it's a place like, yeah, they have gotten big, but then you get into what happened to craft beer uh, where you know InBev bought brands that people loved, like Goose Island yeah. and other things like that, 
And then there's this huge rebellion against the idea that InBev bought those companies. Um, and that's, I'm sure there's starting to be, I mean, amongst, you know, the tight community of sure. Yeah. Uh, hard specialty coffee nerds, uh, <laughs> like us, you know, we, you know, there's <laughs> we know always, any of those. No, <laughs> there's, there's always feelings about that. Yeah. But in the end, that's, it's an interesting discussion. And how does that strike you? Because, you know, did I stop buying the stuff that InBev bought? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. I did. I mean, it was, it was the worst when, um, who, who does Sculpin? They sold for oh. a billion. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, lo- local influence and uh, Constellation. Yeah. Uh, Constellation brands bought. A billion dollars. Um, a billion dollars a bought. Billion. Uh, 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 why am I forgetting the name of the yeah, company? Yeah, I can't remember this brewery's um, name. I'll, I'll look That's it up. Coming. Like, so, That's coming. so I'm going to I'm gonna move us forward here because Perfect. I, I think, you know, La Colombe, great example, but... Um, I also want to take a little bit of a broader look at this. So I actually have this question for you, Chris, um, because Aaron has the notes and you don't. So (laughs) (laughs) how many like coffee shop cafe locations do you think there are in the United States of America? This is great. So is that generic including? Yeah. Yep. Including all? Just to say, is that including Starbucks and Pete's? All of the above. Dunkies. Yeah. Uh, Et cetera. I'm going to go ahead and say. I'm not sure it includes Dunkin. Okay. but I'm not sure because that might fall under restaurant. It might. But regardless, like including major brands and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say. um, I'm going to go ahead and throw out a number that's obscene. Yeah, do. And I'm going to say. Fifth, I'm gonna say twenty thousand. Forty thousand. Wow. Forty thousand coffee shop cafe locations in the US. Now, bonus points. Yeah. How many of those do you think are Starbucks? <laughs> so we have forty thousand total. Mm-hmm. I am gonna go at twenty percent. It's forty percent. Sixty percent thousand Starbucks. Oh my god. I I like I was going, I knew I might be wrong, but I was, I'm shocked. It's double. It's yeah. It's 40%. 40% of locations. Now, so this is where it gets interesting because 40% of locations are Starbucks. It's one of 15 chains that added the most locations last year. However, in 2022, independent shops owned around 60% of the market value. Cha-ching. Hmm. So we're worth more money, but we're much smaller. For Interesting. Sure. So, I mean, independent specialty coffee is punching above our weight class in terms of value, but losing in terms of volume. For sure. So, we're continuing to ask more of our consumers in an environment that has more and more options, such as the La Colombe ready to drink draft latte. Mm-hmm. It's a brutal squeeze. Yeah. This like, is- the need for capital is real. So, this is what's staggering to me. Capital, when it injects itself in a market like specialty coffee, creates a need for itself like it's self-perpetuating like like i know that if i want to be regional it's much i need much more capital to do that now than i probably did before yeah i mean that's logical i mean that's the whole idea of getting into any market early you know if you can establish your name that's a great point yep i mean it's it's like when graphic design became a recognizable profession the second it hit colleges and people are like, oh, I can be really cool and artsy and make money. 
It's yep. now, and now it's everybody and their mother's a graphic designer. And now <laughs> I just I want mean, a disclaimer. I am not a graphic designer and I will never claim to be one. <laughs> I mean, what's, what's the website that everybody can go on now? Oh gosh. Canva. 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 Canva yeah, yeah. Everybody's like, Oh, I can do this on Canva. I'm like, you, you could try, but give me Adobe Illustrator any day. Right. So you, say you can, <laughs> you can, the. it's not going to be as good. <laughs> And now, and now, and now the whole thing, <laughs> well, and now AI for sure. Right. Yeah. Everybody, all of the graphic designers are, well, everybody thinks they're threatened, but as someone who's like in that market, it's, it's a new tool in their box. And the ones who are going to succeed are the ones who can utilize that tool. Well, yeah. and AI so. for coffee too. You know, yeah. like like in like robotic baristas and, and the ability to, to take what we've had as like really janky volumetric and gravimetric technology and actually make it, you know, feed it machine learning and and give it specs that it can work with and, and make like a decent product. Like, and I think it's a great point, Aaron, because who do we see who's gotten all this VC money and blown up? It's all the first movers. It's the countercultures. It's the blue bottles, La Colombes, Intelligentsias, Stumptowns. So it's even the regional stuff. Like when, you know, if you want to go outside of your city, the first person to stake those out that sticks Right. They're the one that grabs the next level. It's not, it can't be the small one. And then you find, oh, where, where's my angle? Right. So right. like, for example, you know, place like a place like a, in our, in our area, black button distilling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, went, went to go larger. Right. And they, now they bought a Rick house. They bought a, you know, they upgraded their distillery volume and everything like that. And they have distribution to, you know, I think 20 plus states now. Oh, nice. So like, but they're, but they went, they're the first one in our area to right. go that big and to go to that next level of production and the next level of that. But that's where, that's where the market changes. Um, For sure. But that's the same thing with coffee too, is like when, you know, who's the first one that's going to be recognized in another area from here but that's the same thing with with those other cities what the first one to go to another place uh i was in savannah georgia a couple weeks ago and i had uh, coffee from perk okay uh, uh perc and they're out of atlanta and they are like oh atlanta they have four locations in atlanta then they got one in savannah well if they're getting big enough are they gonna have another one in another state are they right. gonna go to athens are athens georgia are they gonna go to top panhandle of florida you know but that's that could be the next regional big place because you see that growth potential because they four in one city right so it's always like those steps and is that what you want right and i think that's part of the discussion too is do you want to be regional versus big local do you maximize the value of doing one location like i like and i put in my notes and it's, it's kind of a joke but it's also very real for me like give me 10 ugly ducks Right, yeah. like, like that company you has explain that to some people. Maximized, <laughs> maximized the value of that one location. Oh yeah. my gosh, it's insane. like to the point where they actually have like overflow storage in an adjacent building now, like because they just use every inch so well, and they're just just soaking as much value out of that as they can, and like. I would give them all the private equity so, money. I'm sure Rory had, you know, that's not punk, right? <laughs> to, <laughs> yeah. to take private equity money is not punk, but but like if it happened, if it was Ugly Duck with 10 locations throughout the Finger Lakes tomorrow, like I'd be so happy. But here's but here's the question because we, 
we want to wish that on Rory. Like any, you know, I want Madcap to have, you know, five, 10 locations, but that's what happens with Starbucks and all these other companies. And one of the questions in my mind is when do you actually stop being specialty coffee? Because. Yeah. Well, it's, I, yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think, yo, let's sit on that for a second and let's talk about what we really think it is when we come back from the break. Yeah. Yep. Time for a break. All right. And we'll be right back. Hi there, this is Magnus of The Mind of Magnus, a show dedicated to help expanding the mind that I have in this big skull of mine. Uh, I've grown up with the love of factoids and curious about the world, so I'm taking the time to interview all the most amazing people I've met. So join me for The Mind of Magnus. You can find it at magnusapollo.com. And if you have a guest, you want to be a guest, you want to learn more about what's going on in this world, please join me here on the Lunchador Podcast Network. Hey, it's Polly Guglielmo, host of the Polly Guglielmo Show here on the Lunchador Podcast Network, where we talk entrepreneurship and all of the trials and tribulations, pitfalls and rewards, and there are many, of owning a small business. We do interviews with some of your local favorite business owners, learning how they built their brands, the struggles they faced along the way, and what they have in store for the future. And sometimes it's just me detailing my own daily wins and losses. It's called the Polly Guglielmo Show, and I'd be honored if you'd check it out. New episodes come out every Sunday morning. And we're back, and we're going to approach this excellent question from Aaron. So take us away. Yeah, so I wanted to jump in here first as we wandered into this topic. Um, one of the things I was reading was the idea of specialty coffee isn't a universal thing. People have different ideas about it, and it's which leads its way into all of these different companies and things doing what they're doing and still trying to call themselves specialty. I mean, my, my big thought is you lose quality. The more you scale up, it's like inevitable. If one of these companies could keep their quality level at the size of, you know, an ugly duck, which is wait, estimate the square footage that place has. Oh, I have no idea. I, I'm like a hundred square it's, feet. It's, like, it's, <laughs> yeah, a bit more it's bigger, no, a little like, bit bigger than that. It's yeah, tiny. But. yeah, but it's it's like only only fifty percent bigger than the studio I'm in right now. Right. Yeah, sure. um, and that's you know again that's a so if you're outside of Rochester, it's our um, basically our destination multi roaster uh, location here in Rochester, and it's the place where you want to you want to see people you want to see. That's the place you go, and it's not like oh I want to be seen. But if you want to run into somebody that you want to run into, that's the place you go. That's where I ran into Chris enough that we started doing this thing. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, anyway, um, back to this. So was reading some ideas. Specialty coffee seems to be more of an idea than it is any sort of like a defined thing. Um, the SCEA says that it's not a static thing, but as a living practice. It's... Specialty coffee can exist through the dedication of people who have made it their life's work to continually make quality their highest priority, which sounds amazing. But I would, you know, you can argue that Chobani, La Colombe, Starbucks, they're all doing this. Yeah. They're all striving sure. to make it the highest quality of their priority. Sure. But anybody knows that if you go to your local roaster, versus going to a Starbucks and you get the same latte, it's going to taste completely different. 
Yeah, because their their quality is consistency, right? And it's it's a very different it's a very different mentality at macro scale. Is that consistency is the definition of quality versus the most individual individualistic thing you can make, the most expressive. And 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 this to me brought up the idea of if you've ever watched um, a documentary on McDonald's and how they upscaled up, the whole point was efficiency there. But also that no matter where the heck you go, a McDonald's burger is always going to taste like a McDonald's burger. And I can attest that when you go to China and you go to a McDonald's, it tastes exactly the same. It's crazy there. Yeah. And I I don't want to go too far afield here. But this is where when we talked about the SCA value assessment... Um, and the definition of specialty that the value assessment employed and essentially tying that to um, the different ways that, um, be it abstract labor or narratives or even just the um, intersubjective tasting method that we employ add value to a coffee. I, For sure. I, I really love moving in that direction because I think that keeps us focused on all the different ways something could be specialty like Starbucks is specialty because it has that leveling effect at the end of the value chain. Right. Sure. It does not until that coffee comes out of that roaster black as hell, (laughs) you know, is it, is it Starbucks coffee, you know, and that's the primary value add and, 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 Conversely, you know, you have like what Ugly Duck is doing, which is every coffee that comes in there, their team tastes through it. You know, they get a bunch of samples. They try things. They, you know, they have their interactions about it. They talk to roasters. They get the narratives and stories. And they're equipped with every, like you said, unique thing about that coffee. And it adds value. And that's why they're specialty. And so I I totally agree. It's dynamic and not static. And I really love employing the notion of value and like maybe that's just because you know we're all capitalists now (laughs) like uh but i i think that's a really cool i'm really glad sca says it that way and i think it fits in with their larger project of how they're approaching you know how we judge coffee in general too so that's Yeah. yeah i i i love that direction and let me let me just push back a little bit because you're so embedded in this industry which is amazing but what do you think specialty coffee means to the layperson out there? Because this goes back to our education, you know, podcast that we had where you start talking specialty coffee to one person and it's got a completely different reason. If you're getting to the intro enthusiast, they're not going to consider Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts specialty coffee. I would, I would argue they don't even have like the category. Like sure. specialty coffee isn't even a category people naturally thinking, right? There's sure. like the stuff in the can on the shelf at the grocery store and then the stuff, you know, at some coffee shop that my niece or nephew, you know, like <laughs> won't stop talking about, right? Like it's the frame the frame of reference is outside of you know, the concept of it is actually outside of what most people understand. And it, again, it's it's not that's not a judgment thing. It's a Absolutely factual not. reality yeah. that we the opportunity for people to understand it is staggering still like the amount of people who could be excited about this is wild which is why you know the definition 
continues right. to be debated all the time. Absolutely. And, and we should, and we need to. And to the point where we even ask ourselves how useful the category well, you and, know, is or will be or whether we should just talk about coffee in general. Like, sure. Yeah. Well, and the, and the other thing that I really wanted to bring up around this specialty name here is originally I thought about it in terms of when I'm walking into a coffee shop and I'm getting something in my cup, is that specialty coffee or not? And then the more you learn, there's a grading system on the green coffee side and the production side, which is more where I think about it now as opposed to going to the coffee shop and stuff. And so where do those two things translate over to something like La Colombe that is now going to be this massive giant in the industry? Yeah. And do they fit both of those still? Do they fit one? Do they fit that other category that we're talking about where they're achieving consistent excellence in their product? You know, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? You know, my mind goes a lot of different places you know, no one owns the word specialty. So if they consider themselves specialty, sure. like they have to, yeah, they have to define that for themselves to some extent. And they're going to message that one way or the other. So are they specialty? That's, that's what they say. First of all, I mean, second of all, like if you really want to, if, if you really want to separate, you know, kind of like the, uh, the wheat from the chaff as it were, sure. like, like, uh, I look at the ways that venture capital has intruded on um, our buying practices in our industry. And for instance, you know, when a lot of these guys got bought up, uh, they had to switch to like a, essentially a 365 day term model where mm -hmm. they're not paying their farmers for a year. How do you live as a coffee farmer with no income for a year, you know, like, or with that gap in your income for a year, you know, like you, hopefully it becomes a relationship and it becomes sustainable and there's all that, but you're not getting paid that year for what you're delivering. You're, you're hoping for the best, right? So I, I see things like that and I go, please don't call yourself specialty because you're not doing what I do, which is like, I'm, you know, doing everything I can to go into this value chain and make sure that my money's going as close to the source as quick as it can, you know, and, and I only want to work with groups who have actually already invested at source. So like I could go that granular sure. well, and, 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 but that's like, you know, those are my interests. And, and I think a lot of consumers are interested in that too, but do I want to be out here talking shit about all these VC firms all the time? Like, no, is yeah. that really like, the best thing for the industry, like like we just said, if there's someone who can only get draft latte, do I really want them to feel like, oh well, now Chobani is starving farmers for a year, so you can that's, have draft? Like I don't, I don't want. That's a great point because that person that is totally going to feel like that's their specialty product. Exactly, that's what they can get. And you know, you brought up the other point. So the other description I had, especially coffee, was from Stumptown in the same article there. And Stumptown says, um, pay higher prices tied to quality, not the commodity market. We want to work with producers we know, so we have uh, transparency into their side of the supply chain, and they have transparency into our side and maintain those relationships for many years, which is exactly what you were just saying yeah, in terms of what you were seeing as specialty. I think yeah. that's really important. 
they're 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 certainly the right words, right? Right. Like, and they're, they're certainly the right words you want to hear. And the question is, can you maintain? Can you maintain your values as, um, with that kind of investment? Because the inevitability of the investment demands optimizing your uh, costs. Yeah. Uh, which forces directions into extended payment terms and starting to leverage your sources and do those things. You know, can you last with venture capital because the only thing that matters is expansion? So it's it's a fascinating, fascinating question. And uh, it's really, it's the fundamental thing of the growth of these brands that have probably have many of those ideals at the core or at least started that way. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a really interesting thing to see like, Hey, are they going to keep that going or are they just words on a website at some point? And Stumptown might be the perfect example because there are so many producers and farms and groups and even I dare say like regions that they have vaulted into notoriety and specialty coffee because like, you know, Finca El Inierto, I think of in uh, Guatemala, like was, is, you know, the premier number one best, you know, winning cup of excellence when, you know, every, every lot they sell goes at auction, like amazing, all because of Stumptown, right? And there's I, I, the farm in Honduras is escaping me, but like the Aceh region of Sumatra, you know, really came up when Stumptown started sourcing really, really unique coffees from that region. So like, they have had that ability in the past and it has these knock-on effects now. And so do you go, good job, now you're allowed to opt out, you know? Or do <laughs> we, and, and like, do they care at all if I say, if I'm on this podcast saying like, hey, you know, you're doing it wrong now, even though you did it right then. Sell out. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, Sell out right. says the guy who yeah. just sold his company, right? <laughs> like, right, but it's, but it's also hard because like, unless we get to the, deep roots of what they're still doing today, it's hard to know. And when something expands so much, it opens up those thoughts in your head. Fair or not. Right. I mean, or, right? or you hear re actual reports of like sure. the, the terms that they're, they're, you know, what they're doing forcing and, farmers into. Yeah. So like, it's, it's also interesting because you just, we just talked about this whole sellout thing and uh, you know, where partners are going in practice. And I'll never forget the, the Starbucks Pete's finding out they were started by the two, two partners there. Right. And you go to Seattle and you go to the first Starbucks there and it looks like a Pete's coffee. And it was after that, that they decided, Oh, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go to mass production coffee houses. I want to bring it to everybody. And then the Pete's guy was like, Hey, I'm going to continue to do my quality thing. And the stores are just drastically different. At least you know, I haven't been to a pizza in years now, but when I was working there, we had 10, 20, 30 coffees, all bins, fresh roasted, ready to go. Right. And you would bring your bag in and get it bagged fresh there. Wow. And, and we had to turn over the coffee all the time to make sure it was fresh. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the first time I went to a Starbucks, it was all pre-bagged, like vacuum sealed, pre-bagged, you know, looked like it came from some warehouse. I don't know if it did, but certainly it probably no did. roast date on it. Yeah. It doesn't no matter. Roast date. Right. Yeah. It's, 
the the whole the whole topic is absolutely fascinating because it never stops regardless of what you care about you know from you know content producers uh you know like hey we're we're small boutique content producers right we're doing this all we're doing it because we love it to the highest degree but you know when you when you get successful does that change what it was does it change that it's good absolutely does it change the values um this is something that everybody reckons with in one way or another. There's there's no escape from the discussion, whether it be craft beer with ballast points. I was gonna say. I was so gonna burn. say it. Like I while Aaron was talking, I was I was about to say ballast point. Yes, it came ballast to point um, came to both of us apparently. But whether it comes to that, whether it comes to hey, your favorite, you know, your favorite indie game developer got oh, bought out yep, by yep. this company and now. They're still making great games, but do you want to support them because they're owned by Microsoft or whatever else? Right. Um, it's a never-ending thing, and I think the the thing we all have to reckon with one way or another is, you know, where where do you want to spend your dollars? And in circumstances where you don't get to spend it exactly the way you want to spend it, what's the best way at that moment to spend it? Yeah, absolutely. So it's... I think that's really what it ends up coming down to is where are you going to spend your time? Where are you going to spend your money? Because, you know, if you're going to spend your time, you know, enjoying a place, which is the one you want to go to. Yeah. And, and, and preferably, you know, like care, like, like take the time to at least know why 40 blank street locations just opened in New York city. You know, because that's it's all private equity money and you're just putting money into the pockets of people whose money makes them money. Do you want to be part of that? Is that really what you're going for? I, I mean, even if the coffee's good. Well, I think there I think the fundamental challenge is separating something that's so blatantly uh, financially opportunistic based on market opportunity. Right. And somebody who did build their thing from the ground up. Right. That might still have the core of their values, whether they're compromised or not, it's up for discussion, but they didn't start. Right. They didn't start with venture capital opportunistic. We see a hole in the market. Let's open, you know, 25, 30, 40 locations in the financial capitals of the East coast and London and uh, in England. Yeah. So, I mean, you brought up uh, Intelligentsia earlier. Yeah. I mean, that's the prime Beats, example, J-A-B, right? J-A-B, yeah. Like, they're all, they're all owned now. <laughs> right. right. They're all owned. and But, I mean, the other thing is, do half the people going there even realize if they've been going to this Intelligentsia that it did get bought out? And the other people think that they are found this new place. Is it, does it matter? Does it matter to them that this yeah, and specialty I think, place is now not really specialty? Like when the, the veil gets brought off? Right. Yeah. And, and, and again, like it, it matters to your individual values. And I want to say something that I think needs to be said as a caveat, you know, just a little carve out here. Not everyone who takes private equity money is Starbucks. No. Right. right. Like I think it's really important to say that, you know, we're not saying that is bad. It's how does it impact? What are the knock-on effects? What are the ripple effects? You know, how does it affect the market? How does it affect anyone's ability to get into this industry and just do what they love? You know, if 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 small independent coffee is squeezed out by by venture capital, I think that's a long-term loss. And that mm. would be, you know, you just nailed it for me. 
That's exactly what I'm worried about. Because, you know, we, I, I still keep coming back to this education thing. You know, people ask me all the time, oh, where do you go to drink coffee? Well, for me, it's all about expectations. I'm not going to go to my Dunkin' Donuts and think that I'm going to get, you know, a craft latte with, you know, latte art on the top. I'm not going to get it. I'm still going to enjoy both, mm-hmm. but for different reasons. I'm not going to get grab that can of La Colombe and think it's going to be, you know, a nitro poured, right. you know, cold brew or even like some of the better stuff I'll brew myself at home. But it's all about expectations there. So, you know, I think we look at these companies and, you know, what are our expectations for those companies? Yeah, and I'm not against having a big, broad specialty market, but... I think, I think for the most part, there's only so much big that, that the other end of the chain can, can sustain. And, and I, I worry, I worry where we're headed. So. Yeah. It kind of, kind of gets to the core of it, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, it's the trend. Yeah. What does a it fascinating discussion, man. What's the future look like? So, so yeah, I think, uh, last thoughts. Know, yeah. I was going to say, I have a one last question for you. If you were, you know, in charge of what was going on with La Colombe now, what would you like to see happen? What's you, the You just got influxed with all of this money and now you're ready to do what it is you were going to do. Where would you go with that? Me personally? Yeah. I I mean, I want to I think I want to re refocus on big issues in specialty coffee, sustainability, climate change, things like that, and use $900 million as a, as a platform, right? Sure. Like we're going, we're going to sound the alarm. You're not going to have coffee, you know, in your grandchildren's lifetime. Like that's a, that's a possible future, right? Like Arabica coffee, you know, it can't breed under these climate conditions, right? right? So like I'm, I'm going ham on, investing where there's good genetic research and then and then just trumpeting that so that like that's my really particular niche that's what i would do with 900 million dollars how about you awesome though (laughs) i mean now that you say that that's what i'm like no that's what i want to do i mean the biologist in me is like yeah let's develop a new strain of coffee that can i can grow in rochester and like spread this yeah exactly um, originally lakes, actual finger lakes coffee shout seriously. out to finger lakes coffee roasters but actual finger lakes grown coffee yeah, yeah. Be amazing my original thought was to i would take what i wanted to do my product to be you know if it was that draft latte if that's what i had developed and that's what i was passionate about and i would just go i would go ham on making that the best thing in the market and making sure that as best I could, that quality was not going to, you know, suffer at all. Just like re-engineer the processes re, so they could re- be as tight as possible. Yeah, redo yeah. everything so that, you know, no one can say, oh, they got bought out and they produce so much stuff now it's just not the same. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just. Well, and quality and yeah. sustainability go hand in hand, I think. So, and that's going to be the actual last quality and sustainability go hand in hand. That's going to be our last thought. So 
Thanks Perfect. for listening. Thanks to producer Chris Lindstrom and the Food About Town Studio. Special thanks to the Lunchador Podcast Network. If you like the show, you can find us on Substack, Apple Podcasts, and we're on Spotify now. You gotta be on Spotify. We're on Spotify. Dun, what dun. other platforms? Uh, basically, anywhere you anywhere can find you get your podcasts. podcasts. That's awesome. Uh, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review. It does help people find us. Uh, big shout out to my co-host Aaron Pescucci. You can find us on Instagram at levelup.wny. Please reach out with any questions or requests for future episodes. You can DM us, and I promise someone will read it. Enjoy your coffee. This has been a presentation of the Lunchador Podcast Network. Is that a first-round draft latte?